Hey guys, Riley here. Episode 26 is upon us and with it brings us Kayla Matson, Ottawa, Ontario, just like us. Broke through 2014 with Someday the Moon Will Be Gold, which was nominated for the Polaris Music Prize. He sat down to talk about Avalanche, his mini LP from last year. And we talk about sort of how to write themes into an album, how to write themes into a mini album, what it's like having music out there that you wouldn't necessarily stand by these days. Is there any time for artists to really develop before they start releasing music these days? Talk about influences that you can, which ones you can sort of wear on your sleeve and which one you try to weave in more skillfully. All these different things. Real pleasure to listen to. I'm going to keep this one brief. Uh, You're going to enjoy it. All right.
debut album and then it sort of it blew up in a new way for you like it, it seemed to take you to that next level yeah i mean like i would you know we're talking about the internet i would say if i was born a like just a few years before I was, I don't think my first few records would exist because they wouldn't have like a place to go and be able to put them out. You know, the ease in which I could, I put mm-hmm. those albums out is really, you know, they, they wouldn't have been albums. You know, I would have wrote those songs and then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to put them out anywhere and I would have moved on to something, you know? So like, I'm, I'm so embarrassed by that, the fact that they exist, but I can't change it because that's just sort of, you know, that's the reality of it. You know, like I look at like all my favorite songwriters, you know, there's like so many people that were like their debut record is like amazing because they were in like four bands before it. Yeah, it's true. And they never made a record because in order to make a record, you have to be good enough to get a record deal. And, you know, now it was like, it was so simple as just, you know, I made a record of my first 11 songs and I put them on, you know, at the time it would have been like, MySpace, yeah, you know, yeah. and like that's a record. That. That's that's a record. And now in the public, is I have a bunch all these records, but really it's like I just like record, I like wrote eleven songs, and it was like that's good enough for a record. That's yeah, let's call true. it a record. It's We're true. putting it out. Throw them up and, on and, Bandcamp, and, and it doesn't go. mean any. You know, that's like to me, it's not a record. Mm-hmm. You know, like there wasn't there wasn't a goal. There wasn't like any even sort of like perspective on like what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> you know, but with album you're talking about someday someday the moon will be gold like that was like a real process and i think you know clearly that record's done a lot for me and like changed my life in a lot of ways but Mm -hmm. to me that's i still think of that as like my first thing i don't play any of the songs before that really oh yeah you know those 25 songs i put out that sort of constitute my first releases like you know i was in school i was just trying to figure out what you're doing you know and i don't think i found like any sort of voice until after that that's just, but that's just the time that you know I've been making music in. Yep. That in some ways you're not awarded that time to find your voice, and in some yeah. ways it's so much easier for you to be able to put your stuff out. So I don't know. It's a tricky thing. But. Do you think it's a good or a bad thing? Because again, like there are legendary debut albums, but those are you know made by people who, like you said, had you know they sort mm-hmm. of worked circuits. They they got up to that point where they were ready to make a full album. Whereas now. It's more accessible than ever, but we're losing some of that sort of mystique around sort of first album. For sure. Things like that. Like, do you think it's a good thing that people can still access your early stuff? Whereas before it would have I mean, been like I really don't think people pieces. in general care. Like, I'm, I think people probably in general probably, for the people that do know me, they probably only know my, you know, the last EP and the last full length mm-hmm. record. And I mean, like, I look at people and I don't go further back than sort of when I first come into them, usually, yeah. you know? Even some of my favorite bands, you know, like I don't listen to the first two national records ever yeah. or the first Wilco record. You know, they're just. Yeah, you, it's, it's not when you became a fan of them. So to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's not something like I don't go back. But yeah, you're talking like debut records, like the first Bowie record or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's like the first one. And it's amazing. You know, that like that. Yeah, it's tough. If I could go back, I probably would have not done that <laughs> but, but it's also it's like it, it's yeah. also a growing thing and like you learn from your mistakes and you know i i've released a lot of music in the time i've been playing music and and that's a good and a bad thing you know hopefully it's a good thing because i've gained a lot of experience and you know can use that and sort of harness that to being better at what i do but it also means that there's like 
you know, a back catalog of, you know, like I said, 25 songs that, yeah. you know, I wish didn't exist. <laughs> I think most artists could say the same thing. Yeah. I, I just, you know, whatever. That's, that's just the way it is. I don't think it's a detriment, but I also don't, I, I've never had, um, the sort of benefit of being a brand new clean slate, uh, is a very, um, desirable thing in the music industry now mm. to be brand new and a clean slate. So I sort of, I, I feel like I have a bit of baggage, even though I, that's probably just me perceiving myself that way rather than <laughs> you know, people don't, you know, it's not like I'm big enough for people to be like, boy, can't go back and, you know, imagine you're 16 you f- find out about Dylan now and you're like, where do I start? There's yeah. 50 <laughs> records, you know? True. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I don't think people are thinking of me that way, but I don't, I don't have that, that, you know, sort of cool brand new thing and people are discovering me for the first time and yeah. I've, you know, I've got 10 fans on Facebook or something. I won't have that ever again. <laughs> Unless I changed my name, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's sort of hard to change your name from your name, so... And actually, the National might be like a really good example of those, like sort of, they just became like a workman like band that they just started touring and touring, touring. I read an article by the main guy the other day. I guess he was like part of a dot com business before. Oh, really? And like his net worth was in the millions and then it crashed. And then he's just like, let's go on tour. And they just, they just kept working at it, working at it, working at it. And then it wasn't until, I guess, Alligator? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen that band since. I saw them the first time on Boxer, and they were opening for REM. Wow! And Boxer's like, a great album, though. Yeah, That's back, where I first Boxer's a them. perfect record, I think. Yeah. Um, I still go back. Squalor Victoria, I think, is like. Ooh. They're a great band. They're and but like I've seen them every sort of tour and album since then, and they just keep getting better. And that's an inspiring thing to see a band just. You know, they weren't even young when they started. You mm-hmm. know, like those dudes are all in their forties now. Mm-hmm. That's sort of that's really inspiring too. Yeah, it's it's just it's cool that a band constantly has tried to get better and tried new things, and you know they don't they've never sort of given a shit about what's cool and trendy at the yeah. time, and they that's what makes them cool. Yeah, you know, you know, for bands, it's it's very the beginning is always really hard because one you don't know what you're doing, and a lot of the way to get your started in a music career is having money, mm-hmm. you know, and if that guy had a bunch of money, and I'm sure they all did because they were all in their 30s and probably were like you know, had good jobs. And if you're living in New York in general, you sort of have to have a good yeah, job. Yeah. So like and money. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, they, they had a lot, they probably had some of those advantages sort of available to them right away. But what is it like? Cause at this point you are a known quantity for good or for ill. Yeah, we've already established this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what is it? What is, what is it like sort of knowing like sort of touring around, and not having that, I don't know, sort of hype band feel to it. Like just knowing that you're getting better and better and you're going to be growing followers organically and there's never going to be that sort of explosion of... I have no idea because I've never experienced it, you know? Like I just, it's never happened to me. I mean, like every single thing has been so incrementally getting better. It's been like this steady incline yeah. of, of everything. It's I've never had one thing explode. Even when things would you would think would do that, have never done that <laughs> you know like Not even the hotline bling cover no i mean like if that was my own song maybe <laughs> but it's not you know i just i you know got lucky and people like me doing someone else's song you know yeah. like and, and you know you talk about that like i did that in two hours <laughs> and it's like unquestionably the most successful song i've ever done maybe not the most successful thing i've ever done but like you know it's stupid 
Yeah. It's got like 5 million plays on the internet. Yeah. And it's like some guy in Canada did a cover of a Drake song. And it's like, it's. <laughs> yeah, of another Canadian. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so weird that, I mean, but it's like you take any sort of. Now, when it's so hard to get noticed on anything, mm-hmm. when people notice stuff like that or a video or mm-hmm. an album, for me, I sort of give, like, I, if it's, that's great. If anytime anyone pays attention to you, that's great because yeah, I know. Even myself, I find it hard to pay attention to everything because everyone's always there's constantly people saying stuff's good. You know, this week there's probably 50 records that got put out and they're probably all pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, publicists probably put out just in Canada and there's probably like really only like 10 publicists, music publicists. They probably all put out two or three press, press releases. So 30 press releases went out today for various things. Like when anyone gives one shit about what I do, yeah. like it's a miracle to me now. Yeah. Because I realize how hard it is to get anything paid attention to. Now, does that affect how you write at all? Is there no. any... No? There's nothing like, if I do this, maybe something will... Like- well, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe maybe that's true. Maybe I'm saying it's not... I, I mean, like, the video, Avalanche video, was super calculated. Mm-hmm. The hotline thing is super calculated. I mean, I was looking for a cover to do for a while that I could make good and, like, sound like me. And, you know, I put that cover out, like a week and a half after he put that song out before it was even a single or anything. And that's why it was successful. But I like, that's just good timing on my part. I think. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, it helps that, you know, people liked it. It's weird that I have like the one hotline bling cover that people listen to because <laughs> there's probably 50 fucking thousand of them on YouTube right yeah, you're now. Probably right. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it, you gotta be really smart about that stuff, which maybe I'm not giving me and like my team any credit on because we do think about that stuff all the time. I don't even know where I'm going with the, where the, quest, the question. Well, maybe it doesn't about. affect how, like the writing of your actual songs, but like sort of the way that you market. It. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean like, I, th- I think, um, yeah, it doesn't, I, I, I really try, you know, like me doing the cover of that song certainly wasn't like when I was like finding my way around it and like changing the song basically to make it my own. I wasn't thinking like, boy, this will be a, cool thing the kids will love this drop (laughs) you know like it's i wasn't thinking that you know like i try not to think about that when i'm writing one of the reasons like i i've gotten to where i am is because i'm i've been smart with the business end of things Mm -hmm. and i think and being self-aware of who i am which is you know i'm a mid-20s white canadian sad singer songwriter Mm -hmm. and we're like the definition of dime a dozen so you got to find ways to set yourself apart yeah. on that, you know? And um, I think I just see it so often, especially, I mean, here in Ottawa, but like everywhere is that like people, it's, it's I don't know if it's a creative person thing or like they, they haven't gotten a team around them to sort of, but it's, it's very hard for people to be like self-aware of who they are as a band and what they need to do and what thing, you know, how to navigate that, you know? And I've, I've, I, I, I'm lucky. That's another thing. Like, that's probably another really good thing that I released, you know, those 25 songs before anyone cared who I was is because I did all those jobs. Yeah. And now I'm where I'm at and I have that experience of, you know, being my own manager, booking mm-hmm. agent, publicist and everything. And now I have people doing those jobs for me and I know yeah, what they're as, doing. As you said earlier, it sort of helped shape your career. To yeah. Down the path where you're gone now. Yeah. I just really regret yeah. that those songs are out there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to add a couple to the podcast. For oh this. God. <laughs> Do you know, someone told me they, they said, Oh, I heard you on CBC yesterday. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. 
And then like, I was like, yeah. oh, I didn't know they were, you know, it's, you know, I'm not in a record cycle or whatever. And they played a song for my first record on the CBC. And I was like, oh God, you know, it's <laughs> like, they're still playing this. This is terrible. Just like, please play something newer. Yeah. But there's, can just, can I, we just I mean, excess- I keep shitting on that stuff, but like, maybe there's something in that, you know, mm-hmm. there's like, you know, I, I've had this thing happen to me in the past. I want to say like, let's just say year. Where I, you know, I, I've now like something in my brain has changed and like maybe I've been listening to music long enough or playing music long enough, but like I can go back and to my favorite records that I haven't listened to like in years and they're brand new to me because I can hear them completely differently and like I can hear like drum sounds and stuff. And I was like, when I was 16, I wasn't thinking about Mm -hmm. that. I was just thinking about how it made me feel. And I'm like, listen to the lyrics. I'm like, oh my God, I missed that. Like, it's insane <laughs> to me. Like, and I, I, this is probably just getting older and this is a very common feeling for everyone that, you know, that is over the age of whatever. Um, but it's like blowing my mind, yeah. you know, like I, I'm going back to, to, to stuff cause I'm writing a record right now and I'm, you know, getting very close to the end of it and I'm trying to find the missing puzzle pieces in it. And I'm going back and listening to stuff that I know I love and it's brand new to me. And it's like, actually like, I'm like, oh my God, Blonde on Blonde is the best record of all time. And I knew <laughs> that before a week ago, but I'm listening to it and I'm like, it actually is, yeah. you know, or what, you know, that's pick any record like that. Yeah. It me. just has this sort of like sense of nostalgia to it. And not even just that. It's just like, it, you're, just like you're hearing it for again for the first time or something. It's yeah. really weird to me. I mean, I was always a huge Neil Young fan growing up and like once I started getting into vinyl and all that and listened to like, his harvest album for the first time and like, mm-hmm. listening to old man and like things like that. You're just hearing so many different sounds and whatnot that you'd never really picked up on in the past. You're just like, yeah, I think good. Like, do you know, I, I say this a lot, but I really think music might be the only art form that is, has like, is a total time traveler mm-hmm. and a total magic thing. You know, oh, I, yeah. I can't watch the same movie a hundred times. Like, I just can't, you know, like even my favorite movies I've watched five times in my life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a song or a record is like it can take you back to when you first heard it or have a very. Exactly. And, and it can change. It's 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 crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only art form that can do that. No, nope, I agree. Now, are you prepared for or have you experienced already being on the other end of that where you are the producer of something that someone else has read more meaning into? Than perhaps was going on. Yeah, I guess so. Or that. I mean, I try like even when people if people tell me that stuff, I try to get it out of my head right away. You know, like it's I don't think it's a healthy thing for a song like a songwriter to be like to really internalize people telling you nice <laughs> things all the time because then you don't have like that fire to keep making something better. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I mean, I think I've certainly since someday where I, you know, like it's a very personal record and, you know, when you sort of put yourself out there in that very open, really, really open way, people tend to respond to it, you know, because I've really found, especially since that record, that the more um, personal and the more small that I write, you know, it becomes more universal, which I wouldn't have always thought Mm -hmm. would be the case. This might be a good time to jump into... Uh, the writing of Avalanche, a lot of the more experienced people we have on here, they realize that 
only a certain percentage of actually making music is making the music itself. You also have to become, like you said, tour manager, manager, you have to booking agent, PR release thing. It's almost like having an entrepreneurial uh, mindset. And then what was it like going from something where you'd really broken through realizing, okay, this next record has to be, it has to be a growth in some way. It has to be, it has to be something different, but it has to be something that people who know, you know, the record are going to appreciate that we can extend off into like what, what goes through your mind when you're at that level and you have to start writing something new? Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I think most people that you'll talk to also like, you know, I've had, it was, was a quote unquote entrepreneur and I still think I am because, you know, like on a, if I'm releasing a record on a day-to-day basis, I probably, you know, am employing like 16, 20 people, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of a tour with a band or, you know, my manager or, you know, like there's so many people involved. Once you get all those people involved and you have someone booking your shows and, you know, you, a lot of that is all just to let you do what you do better yeah. and give you more time to do that, which is also really scary too. Because <laughs> then you're like, oh my God, you feel like you're, you know, lying to someone if you're not writing a song every single day, <laughs> you know, or like not doing a good job. But like, it's also, that stuff takes time and it's not that easy to just, you know, it's, if it was that easy, everyone would be writing songs every day. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Avalanche was, it's, it was, those are the first six songs I wrote after Someday. I toured Someday like a maniac. Mm-hmm. I did, um, I think I did 160 shows in 2014. Jesus. Across Canada and, and I think it was like nine countries, you know, Canada and Europe and a couple in the States. And like, it, I don't write on the road. I can't do it. I'm like, when I'm in live show mode, you know, like I, I sort of like doing that and be like, this is what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I can't just like go and like play guitar in the van and like, come up with, it's like, <laughs> and people that say they do that, I don't believe them. You know, <laughs> I just like, it doesn't, it's not the same thing to me. Um, well, who was it? Uh, we had somebody on Fedra who said, it, you know, you almost can't because you're experiencing too much of life in like a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting all the highs and all the lows super super compressed so you try to unpack that afterwards but not not so much when you're in the moment yeah i I, I don't people that say that i mean maybe you can do it if you're like on a bus and you're not driving for eight hours during the day and you're driving through the night or something you know i can see that you know i was on a bus for like a week and like that was i had more free time than i've ever had in my life you know because you're driving through the night and you're not even like you just wake mm-hmm. up in the new next city and you know you have nothing to do for nine hours yeah, before yeah. sound check or something so i can see that working but like for the level that like 95 percent of bands are at i don't get it yeah so i i you know like i didn't write for like it, I, it seems to be a thing with for me after every record though like i can't write anything for like six or eight months afterwards one because i'm touring all the time and two, just because, like, you need to have other experiences and have enough, like, perspective on what you just did to learn from it and come at it, what you do from a new angle or something. But yeah, I did that. <laughs> and when do you know when that process is going to start up again? And when do you know, like, in the, when you're writing an album, when to cut that off? And, like, okay, so this is going to be, you know, the creative time. This is going to be one. I'm, I'm lucky that I have people to cut me off and tell me when I have something. <laughs> Um, but when I start up, it's like, I, I, I always find 
I mean, I always end up writing the music portion first and sort of, I mean, I think it's a very common thing for a singer songwriter to sort of, you know, you come up with the music and then the words sort of come to you. And especially me now, cause I, my albums are sort of focused around themes and the, sort of try to tell a story, but not be concept records. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, uh, yeah, just, uh, doing, so coming up with, you know, a song and, you know, whatever the title of the song comes to you when you're like mumbling nonsense <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, there you go. You know, that's always the magic time is when you're doing that and you're like, you know, you know, you, you know, I remember, you know, mumbling avalanche and then coming up with that verse and being like, cool, that's the song title. I can yeah. go from there. <laughs> that worked. Yeah. You know, I mean, but that's, that's, that's it's that. like a subconscious thing. Like I, that's just sort of how I do it. And then, um, and then other times I'll have the idea for the song for ages and then I just haven't paired the music with it. Yeah. And that takes a long time sometimes because especially, I mean, there's a bunch of examples of that, my songs, but when it when it comes together and they pay, pair together very well, it's, it's exciting. So I don't know, it just takes time. <laughs> but I'm constantly, if I'm not on the road, I am constantly writing and I write a lot of songs. Yeah. And I demo a lot of songs, probably more than... I would say more than most people. I know that for sure. I mean, like I'm doing a rec- writing a record right now. I've demoed 30 songs, you know, oh, wow. for what'll probably end up being a 10 song record, probably record like 14, you know, and I'll probably still write another five. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of demos. <laughs> That's I, I think most people like I, you know, you get a couple extras that you'll weed out, but I write a lot and I'll, um, you know, I'll s- s- steal parts from other songs that weren't working fully, but I know that bridge is awesome and I'll put it in one and then it, that song becomes better. So I do a lot of that stuff. Um, and yeah. Does it help or hurt knowing that now you've got a team around you that sort of you're the center of like, it all sort of orbits around you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it, uh... <laughs> It's not true. I mean, everyone works with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big thing. But it does because, you know, I, I have said this to my manager. I was like, I know you have, you know, three other clients. Yeah. And you have to care about all four of us at, a, at any given time. But I don't give a shit about any of your other co- clients because I can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't care <laughs> about other people's careers at all. But he has to care about all of us. Yeah, so it's sense. a tricky thing. I think it's harder for them than for me. Because, like, I just don't think about other, you know, if um, my label's putting out a record or whatever, I don't care. I mean, I want it to do well because they're my friends and stuff, but I also don't like, you know, like, living and dying by how their single's doing or something. Mm-hmm. Really, all I'm saying is, like, I revolve around myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that's... But, I mean, like, when your job is to be you and it's your name on your record and, like, you're writing songs for a living, it's that's what you have to do. I'm trying to say, like, I'm, I mean, like, every songwriter is slightly nar- narcissistic and self-absorbed, but that also goes with his job. Um, because you're just, I mean, at the crux of being a musician and a performer and a guy who makes records is the weird deep down thought that what you're saying is something that people want to listen to (laughs) and what you're doing is something that people want to care about. And that's what you have. You have to believe that on some level 
just because it's so debilitating most of the time. You know, I've played so many shitty shows. You just got to, like, know that it's okay. You know, it's, you're doing a thing and it'll get better. And, yeah. Um, On to the you're next not total one. garbage. <clears throat> yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, for all the, like, we're talking about a lot about, like, nice things that have happened. And, mm-hmm. but, you know, like, there's just years and years of hard work and constantly getting, like, punched to the ground. <laughs> You know, yeah, but no one really wants to hear about that, you know, other than other musicians who want to like feel better about it. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, could, I could like talk a lot, I could talk, a, I could talk a lot about like shitty Regina shows if you, know, you guys want, <laughs> but like, for every shitty Regina show, you do that, and that means you, you know, that's that's just your hours that you're putting in, yeah. And you know, when I have a bunch of awesome stuff that I remember earlier this year, I got like four insane news things all in one week my manager was like you know kill this is like this is what working really hard for the past year and it means right you know like playing in you know fucking iowa to two people (laughs) like that means you can you know this this is this is this is the result of doing really hard work you know and not giving up yeah, you got to play the shitty Regina shows before you get to the good Vancouver Of course, show. Uh, yeah. But it also, it's just like, even though it doesn't totally correlate, that's, it, a lot of that stuff is the reason why, mm-hmm. you know. Now, does that pertain to your songwriting as well? Like, did did you have to play a number of shows to sort of figure out, okay, these, this is the sort of things I can do with the crowd, this is how I should incorporate it with the songs? Um, I don't know, like the whole performing thing, I'm, I... I'm not sure if I've ever felt totally comfortable with it. I still feel weird about it. I'm not sure how I'm ever going to get past that. And I play a lot of shows. <laughs> I I I know that I'm like good at doing banter and like telling jokes and like crowd control, but then like there's something that turns on in my head and then I get terrified again once I start playing a song. <laughs> I have no idea what's wrong with me. Maybe that's just I mean like I remember my dad saying like when I was really young, he's like, if you're nervous, it just means you care. And I was like, okay, you know, so I'm nervous all the fucking time. And then like, I guess let's, let's dive into, um, Avalanche a little bit more and just for the writing of that record and probably it's the same. Is it an EP? Is it a mini LP? I've seen that thrown around a lot. I like to say it's a mini record because, uh, when I think people think EPs now and are like sort of throwaways or mm-hmm. you know far extra songs from a record or um and this you know it's six songs it's um you know that's that's close to a record we could add it a few more songs people would have said it's a full length yeah um but um you know it was like my first release on you know a big label and they wanted to put out an EP and I had an EP I didn't have a full record, but I was sort of in the midst of writing a full record at that time because I was like, my next thought was to keep <laughs> doing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, so that's sort of it. We, uh, I had those songs and we sort of, they, they made sense to me as like a piece and they all sort of, I'd like someday they, they, a lot of the songs sort of talk to each other and they sort of go, you know, interact with each other and um, 
Is that something you plan out ahead of time or is that just... Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah? I mean, a lot of that, like, lyric writing and, like, using similar phrases in each song and trying to make... You know, we were talking about Neil Young. Neil Young does that a lot. A lot. Absolutely. Um, Springsteen does it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and those are, like, two of my favorite guys ever. So Um, I sort of taken that sort of, you know, especially Bruce records, I think they really tell a story from beginning to end. Oh, for sure. And all the songs talk to each other and they are a piece and uh so I tr- i've tried to do that in my own you know pedestrian way <laughs> yeah which i mean can work but it can also backfire when someone just pulls born in the usa and is like this is the most pro-america song there's ever been and it's like oh <laughs> but like but like all those you know but it you know he's still talking about the same things at the end of that record too mm-hmm. from the beginning of that record and that's what i'm trying to do is just um i really like records and albums that can take you into a place you know i really like that um so how's that process of writing start for you is it it's it's got to be with the words right no 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 like i was saying it's like it's music and i mumble along and sometimes i'll either have the idea for a song like i'll have like the title and like what it's going to be about and i just don't have music to go with it yet and i'm just like waiting for Mm -hmm. whatever the melody and chords chords and stuff and then you know, sometimes it takes forever to come up, come for them to sort of pair up or I start with music and I'm just like constantly searching for words that work. And either, you know, like I, I write down a lot of words and phrases and lyrics all the time, but it doesn't mean it's going to be good or that there's like a song that says anything in that, you know? So it's, it's, um, it's, if every song's different. They, they, they all are but that's sort of i think that's a pretty standard singer songwriter way to work mm-hmm. you know for the genre that i'm in i think that's a pretty standard way to sort of attack it uh one of the things you said earlier is sort of the more you talk about minutiae the more people seem to uh relate to that is, do you ever try to put i, I feel like it, it, it could be a sloppy thing to try and put like grand ideas into a song or like sort oh of, yeah yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, How do you like, start editing that back into something that can fit into a? I think it's just like putting small things. I mean, at the you you don't want to be. I mean, I I agree with the statement I said that the more sort of minute, you know minute details becomes more universal. I think that's just like being truthful though. And um, but if I'm singing about stuff that really only means something to me, no one's actually going to care about it. So all songs, I'm trying to like say something that can relate to other people, you know, but if it doesn't relate to me, then it's just as useless too. <laughs> so it's, it's a balance of both, you know, I th- I'm, I, I think like Avalanche is like if, if on a pure songwriting level, I think I've gotten, I mean, I, I think I get better with every release just cause, mm-hmm. you know, I've been doing this like five six years and that's what happens when you do stuff for five six years and release a lot of music in that time is that you hopefully get better with each one yeah. you improve on your craft yeah hopefully hopefully mm-hmm. some might not say i don't know <laughs> um but on a pure songwriting level i think i'm getting better at that you know type of thing where you know i'm i've with this new record i'm writing you know i've, I've written a bunch of songs to sound like i didn't write them <laughs> you know and my producer um Colin Monroe who I worked with on Avalanche who's going to produce my next record he was like this song sounds like you didn't write it and I was like 
is that a good thing? And he's like, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, because I, I started writing one song. I was like, I, I want to write a song that Adele can sing. Yeah. You know, and that's like a just a different... I've never thought of a song doing it that way. Mm-hmm. And so you write in a totally different way and different words and phrasing and everything. And, you know, I think it's cool. Uh, you know, and but that's just, you know, getting better and trying new things, yeah. hopefully. Now, is that something that you ever get notes on? Like, this isn't your sound, you're you're going too far out? Like, is that something that somebody at a label or you are worrying about? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, especially with Avalanche, I think, you know, it's so, so much poppier than all my other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a very conscious thing. Um, you know, we're talking about also being, like, an entrepreneur and stuff. The reality <laughs> is, is, like, you, you want to make music that people want to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I I probably always want to push it one step farther in the pop direction, and we always gets rained back a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. If you like, there, that's definitely a thing on Avalanche for sure. We rained it back in a bit. Um, so, you know, this is a very general thing, but it's really fucking easy to write like an eight minute long song that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's really easy, and you see bands do it all the time, especially you know. If I'm just thinking about like local scene, okay, very easy. <laughs> it's really fucking hard to write a three minute song with three choruses, yeah, where the chorus comes in under within the first minute of the song, yeah. And there's four distinct sections, or one of those hooks something. in all four. That's really that's yeah, unquestionably yeah. the hardest thing to do because if we could all do it, we'd all be making mm-hmm. Max Martin money, yeah, exactly. You know, it's so hard, yeah, and so like. I, that was a new thing, especially with Avalanche, was to like, you know, we are talking about pop, right at the beginning, we were talking about pop music, and I love pop music, and I'm obsessed with it. Um, and uh, it's, uh, that's, that, it's a very, it's a good challenge for someone like me who, who's able to do pop music, quote unquote pop music, <laughs> you know, and not, it doesn't seem disingenuous or anything, you know, like that's always sort of what I've been writing. It's just, you know, you to get better at it, you know, listen to fucking Taylor Swift. She writes perfect songs. Yep. It's true. It's perfect, one of the funny things. Perfect songs, you know. I I do a lot of, like, I watch and download and steal a lot of sort of production tutorials and things like that. And you get people who, you get people who um, sort of, you can tell they're not, they shouldn't be doing these things. But then you get guys who have worked with, like, upper echelon people. And they know that, like, for pop music, the target to hit is so tiny. Like everything has to be exactly on point. And it's crazy because then those are the tutorials I'll take you in is like, okay, these kick drums. I mean, we just want to touch on the high end, but we want to scoop out that middle because we got a big old fat snare that's going to come in and things like that. And you're like, holy smokes, this is, there are so many ingredients that go into making like a pop song Mm -hmm. that, like you said, is three minutes, is on point, has hooks, has choruses. Anyone can that, get that into that music sonically is always everything is placed perfectly. You'll never mm-hmm. hear anything out of like everything sits very cleanly. And the structures, like I have like OCD about a lot of stuff, but I'm like, I, I it, this is just something that's happened to me as I've gotten older. I've become obsessed with like structures and making mm-hmm. everything um, symmetrical <laughs> and a lot of stuff like that. And I think. If, if, if like, you know, a year from now you're listening to my next record, you will totally hear it. Like, I think you'll, there's so much like, I don't, I, I don't know. I think this is me probably just like 
getting older and like you know that translates to not just songwriting but other parts of my life but like i can like channel it into like you know perfect for everything yeah. and, you know and i think that's probably a good use of my fucked up head you know for that type of stuff you know making but that 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 type of music pop music is like so perfectly structured you'll never hear like a yeah. bar just thrown in there for fun yeah like, everything has to have a purpose you know especially it, talking about like frequencies and like you know, everything sits in a spot yeah. perfectly. Mm-hmm. I love that. Things, I love that about it. <laughs> uh, that I realized I started taking an EDM course just because their kick drums sound good across any medium. You can you can hold it up, hold it up like a song played over a phone and you'll still oh, yeah, get that same cuts, kick. Yeah. You'll, yeah. It's crazy how these people do it. And it's just because their mastery is not so much maybe in, you know, sort of making an eight minute song that goes nowhere it's or just in, telling a story but they 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 they're what they do well is you know making something that sounds fucking awesome on a massive pa yeah. and mm-hmm. a phone speaker and then you realize like when they're doing it they've got you know 60 different devices in mind about how this is going to play okay so there's car stereos that it has to sound this way you know we've got iphone earbuds that sort of slip out of your ear a little bit so you're losing some of the low end you're losing high end things like that but also we got to make sure it's ready for uh, what is it like cold plate vinyl mastering things like yeah. that it's nuts and they've got all these things running through their head and is that like when you say you're ocd does that come through when you're like recording in the studio are you like comping takes are you like uh, super 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 into all that i've gotten that way <laughs> um it's mainly with like now i i think maybe this isn't the best like i don't think i think the process of making avalanche and then sort of like going diving deeper on that stuff is like gotten me on like rhyme schemes and like um alliteration and like all that stuff that's where you'll see it i think on my next record but like the once you dig even further into like you know pick a pop star they're all this way and they're not usually writing their songs it's usually someone else um usually teams of people but like they're very you know cognizant of those things and i i don't know like it like this you know a switch turned on in my head where i was like oh my god that's how it works you know it's like <laughs> it's everything um it's it, yeah everything has a has a place and um you know in the same way that you're talking about a kick drum fitting on every single thing well you know that verse melody that goes into the pre-chorus melody and then the chorus melody goes into the verse melody perfectly and they all start on you know let's just say the the verse starts on the root and then the pre-chorus starts on the fifth the fifth and then the chorus starts on the third and then it goes back down to the root and it's like oh my god like it's it's all math it really is especially that type of stuff is all math and now it's like I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but I've like tried to translate that more into what I do, which I don't think anyone would say is like, I, I've, I've told my manager, I was like, here's, you know, I send him a demo. I usually send him batches of demos, but I'm like, here's that one. He's like, that one's, that one's a keeper. And I was like, cool. That's like a rip off of this Katy Perry song. He's like, what are you talking about? I've no one will ever hear that. And I was like, well, it's like the same man. And he's like, no one on earth will ever make that. Like, yeah draw that line but i do totally because like i was you know you just try to break it down into you got what i was saying though about like the the thirds and stuff and then the it's well it's one of the things is like you can break it down but it takes like a real sort of songsmith to sort of build it up 
in a way that other people would want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then they, they the take trick. even that going down from like the roots and stuff, and they'll then they break it down into um, you know what words and it's it perfect. It's it's crazy how precise it all is. But I think that's also like great songwriting. Hopefully, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure I, Dylan does the same thing. We just don't hear it the same way. I was reading a thing the other day. Yeah, I haven't dug into that. <laughs> the same nuts way I have with Teenage Dream, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Best song of the past 10 years, in my opinion. <laughs> but okay. Uh, I, I was reading a thing with... Uh, it, it was like an analysis of why we're never going to see another Elton John. And the reason yeah, yeah. is because Elton John doesn't write chords for guitarists. And so mm. when he goes into a studio with people, the guitarists have to do it like sort of inversions that they never naturally do. And so, sure. but the way that he does it, it's sort of, cause I guess like his songwriting technique is sort of uh, his, his writing partner gives him the lyrics. And then from like 9am until lunch is served, if he can't make something out of the song, then the song just doesn't work. But he, he does it based on how his sort of hands dance around the keyboard and things like that. Oh, he's a total virtuoso. I've, yeah. I've seen him once and he's a maniac. Oh, really? Piano, like nice. unbelievably good. Like total ver like yeah, he's a virtuoso piano player. I think he like went to like some hardcore classical program. Like he's pretty intense on that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I. I yeah. I, I can totally see that. You know, the grossest thing in the world to me is he- hearing like a G chord strummed like <laughs> an acoustic guitar. Like it like actually makes me feel <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I like I can't stand it. So especially on Avalanche and someday I don't. I play everything in a weird key. Yeah. Every single thing is on a sharp or a flat. Mm. And it's almost all of it's in different tunings for guitar stuff. Now, is that for you to get you out of sort of that? Yeah. Okay. Because then you hear chord progressions differently and you can use different suspensions and inversions and stuff. But yeah, like hearing an acoustic guitar playing like C, G, and D. Yeah. Like (laughs) fucking murder me. It gets like it does. Like I think it might go back to when I took a guitar class in high school, and everyone was like learning to play guitar to like you know Heart of Gold or something. Yeah, or like and hearing thirty acoustic guitars strumming like, and I just it like something like deep deep down inside of me like like cannot handle it. So like that, but that like sort of brings you're like okay, I don't want to do that. There's only you know yeah. There's only so many keys and so many chord progressions, so how do you make them sound cool to you? And a lot of that's just tunings and stuff. And well, that's capos. one of the things. If you search like any any artist that you like, and you can't really put your finger on it, and then just search like an acoustic cover. Like the other day, uh, uh, I did like "Get Lucky" acoustic cover, mm-hmm. and none of those people are because he's hitting. In between the like sort of root chords, because everybody can hit those four chords on their ukulele, but in between those, he's doing like like seventeenths, and like he's he's going up all over the fretboard just to add a little bit of sort of sauce to the to what he's doing. Uh, Nile Nile Rogers, mm-hmm. um, and it was the same thing. Oh, but yeah, that's a that's really fascinating. Could you dive in a little bit into sort of the like just a palette of Avalanche because it is, I mean, you mentioned Springsteen. 
as a influence. You can hear some of those snare drums on there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, born in the uh, born in the USA is like probably my one of, you know top five favorite record of all time for me. You can clearly hear. I mean, we use the yeah, same yeah. reverb the on. Video. I mean, it's on the video, yeah. Like, I mean, like that's but that's that was a big thing for me. Was like, you know, it's still it's yeah. That's what I was going for on a lot of those songs. It's just going for that huge, you know. Like I want it to sound like <laughs> in the USA, you know. We always used to. We, that was a joke in the studios, like when I was like asking for more reverb on the snare or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like sonically, there's a lot of that. Um, there's almost no electric guitar on the entire record, which, if maybe you wouldn't notice unless you're looking for it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there's, uh, uh, so, you know, just like drums. I, you know, I did all the programming on the drums. So there's, that's the, you know, my first record where there's program drums and live drums over top and blending the two a lot, which is a super common thing now, but I don't think it's a very common thing in, um, you know, quote unquote, like indie Canadian folk. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think you, you hear that a lot. Because um, it's tough to get authentic samples, packs. Yeah, I wasn't though. I mean, like I'm using like 808s and then like no. drums, and I mean I've recorded that record in a super super nice studio um, where we were able to get great drum sounds. And well, it does have an incredible sheen to it. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of that is like we recorded. I recorded the record at Noble Street Studios in Toronto, which is very you know Drake and Justin Bieber recorded there. It's amazing. <laughs> the engineers are amazing. They're insanely good. Yeah, yeah. and then. You know, um, it got mixed by a guy named Alex Aldi. It's a guy, he's out of New York. He did, um, he's done all the Passion Pit records. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, Walkman records. You know, the the Passion Pit stuff was one that I really sort of looked at because he's, that's super pop music, but it feels fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always thought those records sounded awesome and he was into it. And then it got, it, um, it got mastered at Sterling Sound, which is, you know, like hotshot mastering place. And those guys, it's amazing what those things, you know. It's the first time I had a budget where I can get a guy to pay yeah, that much money to mix absolutely. it and that much money to, to master it. And it may, uh, it totally, you know, there is a sheen on it for sure. It's, yeah. It sounds like it could be on, played on the radio. And, you know, like yeah. you're saying, like, I, I think it sounds awesome in a car and uh, in a phone. And, you know, it's... That's but that's like just getting people that know what they're doing. Was that something that you were looking for, like coming from doing sort of solo releases and things like that? Were you excited to have somebody else come and mix it? Someone else? Come oh yeah, master it? yeah, yeah. I mean, like that was super exciting to me that I had money to do that. I mean, like I would have <laughs> wanted to do that since day one, but it's not like you have you know the budget to do that. Yeah. So that was super exciting, and it's exciting on the next one too. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like just getting the the people that getting the best people to do what they do best on your stuff is amazing. And getting another set of ears, because by the time you're that far into it, you're, you're a maniac and you can't, you, don't, so even, you don't even know yeah. what you're listening to anymore. So getting someone like Alex to be like, to pull certain things away and just make it sound awesome. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the coolest thing in the world. It always is the coolest thing in the world. I think every musician ever who gets their stuff mixed by someone awesome or mastered by someone awesome, the first time you hear it, after listening to your like unmixed <laughs> things for ages and then you get it back like usually you get it back like a month later so you haven't listened to anything in a month and you yeah. get it back and it's like 
It's amazing. It's one of the best. It's oh, actually, it's my favorite part of the entire process. Oh, every yeah. time, every time. It's got to be like unwrapping a Christmas gift. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Exactly. Uh, it's I remember the, even like my very first record when I got Howie Beck mixed my first real record. He's like he's done he's done amazing Canadian stuff like Feist and I remember the first time I heard him mix first song it blew my mind. Yeah. Like, it was like the greatest thing ever. Now, does that in that process it's it's got to be a weird sort of feedback loop in that thing. Do you ever place things in songs and you're just like, okay, this is sort of whatever but then they bring it out or they or there's something where you're like this is going to be it and then they just take it out mm. uh, maybe i mean by that time it's usually a producer is like will have hammered a, a lot of that stuff and you mm-hmm. um try not to have too many parts that are like useless you know try to everything have a purpose in there one way or another yeah whether it be like that's the hook of the song and that's got to be screaming at you or this one 10 second awesome bit that you know um Everything, if everything has a purpose, then that's always, you know, at least you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And I think one thing that is sort of unique to a lot of your stuff is, like, you use, I, I guess, like, orchestral instruments for stings, for different swells and things like that. How did, how did that become part of something that you want to use in your sound? Mm. And how were you able to afford it? <laughs> I have a horn player. <laughs> that helps. Uh, and he is really good. And, um, you know, I went to music school. So a lot of like, um, I say the one thing I really got out of music school was being able to write for other instruments and like have it make sense. I think it's the one skill I learned. I will totally say that I, one skill I learned and I use all the time. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of horns and strings on stuff. I mean, Strings are almost always fake. <laughs> Glad you didn't know that. Uh, um, not that anyone cares. Uh, but the whole, yeah, I mean, like that sort of stuff. It's like it's just it's just different a different palette, you know. You know, someday had a lot of electric guitars on it, and there's a lot of like layering of guitars. And now on Avalanche, you know, it's a lot of it's synths and drum machines and stuff. There's a lot of that, a lot of synth bass on everything. I played all that stuff. A lot of that programming and stuff, which, you know, it's just like you grow and you get excited by different sounds and different. But at the end of the day, I still think my thinking on all that stuff when you're adding horns or adding a massive synth line or whatever, it's like nice um, to, to me. It's like my voice is so weird and I think that it's very singular <laughs> for good or for work you know for for worse um in that like I, I feel like i can almost put it on anything yeah you know and, and my songs are still my songs and no matter what way we sort of you know doll them up st- at the end of the day i think it's still gonna sort of sound like me did massive mean the vst or the or just like a really big oh yeah fly? like big sounds like <laughs> oh, you know, huge it. snares like you know <laughs> using the lexicon reverb on literally like every yeah or in every snare like you know like that type of thing, yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I know a lot, a lot of that stuff, but I don't use any of the native instrument stuff. Yeah. I try do, you, to, do you use any in the box sort of? Oh yeah, I love all the Arteria synths. Oh yeah. Yeah, those are those are amazing. Um, before I could buy, I could afford a Juno, which I now have a <laughs> Juno. I used like you know the VST yeah. Juno sixty. Um, yeah, I mean like. That's what I, I do all my demos at home 
and I've never really recorded myself before. And now I've like, you know, bought a couple nice mics and have a nice Apollo and like a bunch of nice plugins. And like, it's amazing. I don't think they were this good, like three, four years ago, even all the, you know, plugins and like tape emulators and like, yeah, just, you know, like the API compressors and preamps and everything. It's like, maybe uh, either like I didn't, wasn't aware of it, but like, it seems like they really have, had a breakthrough in that type of sort of technology in the past like four, three, four, five years. Yeah. Uh, the reverb modeling is, has been, has gotten so much better. Like sort of, this is the hall. And- yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't into it enough. You know, I would have been just starting, but like, I really feel like it's just amazing now. And it's like, you know, um, so with all, like all the stuff I'm doing is in the box stuff Oh yeah, for demos at least. And yeah. then, I mean, and you, then you go to Noble strings. Street. Hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> albums have budgets, you know? Yeah. Uh, whatever works. Yeah, no, whatever true. works. No one, you know, you didn't know. No, exactly. If, if your opinion has changed, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> if my opinion on all of Avalanche was just hinged on. <laughs> hinged well, on real on strings bank. and real <laughs> massive horn sections. No. <laughs> sorry. I guess it's. Guess it's trash. <laughs> and it's funny how many people they're getting these days to sort of put their names onto different sample banks. Like you can get uh, Nick Mason drums now. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean those guys are like nice. That's an easy <laughs> paycheck for him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure it's some guy like going and like actually writing the code on like quote whoever you know famous producers sounds that he uses a lot. Yeah. And then he's they're like. Hey, can we use your name? And he's like, how much are you going to pay me? And then that's it. <laughs> but then you see like those YouTube videos and it's like, we recorded in an industry-wide, worldwide exclusive 60 mic surround sound. And it's like, God damn it. My, my current sample bank's only 34 mics surround sound. I can't believe I was trying to make music. This is crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, th- th- that's a whole like total crazy nerd world. Thank uh, you. Uh, no, I mean, like, hey, <laughs> I, I, I'm in it, too, but I just know that whenever I try to, I mean, I, there's very few people I can talk to about that type of stuff being like, man, love that, you know, the, the Moog Arturia synth is just incredible. It's so good, you know. Yeah. My girlfriend will say, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> well, what? Well, what did you do today? Well, um, yeah. That has been one of the fun things about having, we've had... I guess three, four, five, maybe like sort of long-term couples who will also make music on the podcast. Mm. And there's always one of them who's like super into gear, gear. And then the other one mm. just could not give yeah. less of a shit. Just sort of comes out. It goes one way or another with musicians, you know, like I had always been into gear and, a, and guitars and synths, but I never had like the means to own any of it. It was always yeah. just like looking at pictures mm-hmm. and now, you know, I've got so much. We're having stuff. access to it through like a studio. Oh yeah, or like, a I, I, or I remember dreaming of having like a guitar pedal collection for a very mm-hmm. long time, and now I have a massive guitar pedal collection, <laughs> and and you know, and um, I love old acoustic guitars. I've got a yeah. lot of those. That's sort of my thing as yeah, well. Yeah. So certain guitars bring out certain songs because they sound differently, and you mm-hmm. play them differently. Oh, absolutely. So I. I I, I can justify every single purchase I make very easily. Oh, for sure. Most musicians can. You know, <laughs> of course, there's some musicians uh, who are like, I just had to get another guitar. Now, like, now 
my girlfriend will say differently, but yeah, I can, I can justify it all. I mean, it's just, you just, any way you can find inspiration is a good thing. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Especially when your job, you know, main job is just to find inspiration. Do you, are you finding more like inspiration moving forward to this new upcoming record that you're uh, writing or I'm like, I'm at the point, like, I'm at the point uh, where I'm kind of I need, repeating like myself, I said, I'm or? trying to find, trying to find the last pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Trying to find, you know, I, I probably have a record right now. I think if I'm being totally 100% honest with myself, I probably have it very close, maybe missing one or two songs. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty much there. I've got the, I think it's, yeah, I'm really excited by it. It's, I think it's, I've written the most poppiest song I've ever written. And then the rest of the record isn't really that way. I think it's something else, something <laughs> new and different, which is exciting. It's got a real story to it. Yeah. I'm really excited by it. Awesome. Hopefully it's good. Yeah. I'm a, looking it, forward it, to it. Yeah. I think, I think it's the next step for me in a lot of ways. You know, hopefully Adele sings that song and. <laughs> Then you're just gonna take off from here. <laughs> oh man, uh, that's like a that's a total dream though. Is to, like it, oh, who wouldn't love like that? that? Who wouldn't want that? I, I, it'd be amazing. An artist like Adele, like being able but to like, anyone, sing one of your like songs anyone, or like anyone, like someone whomever, else singing. Yeah. I want, I want to, ha- you know, like Brian Adams is one of my favorite. I mean, that's pr- probably super obvious to a lot of people, but he's one of my absolute favorites. And like all his hits are like by like Tim McGraw covering one of his songs and stuff. Like it's amazing because <laughs> that's like that'd, that'd be the best. Just give me that check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I, I always found interesting about Brian Adams is he was so against uh, any CanCon rules. Oh, I was saying Ryan. Oh, oh, shit, shit. Yeah. I mean, okay. I love Brian as well. <laughs> but uh, Brian Adams was against CanCon rules? Super against them. Yeah, but I'm sure he wasn't against the when fucking he... money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think because he broke through in the states, he was like, "I don't need it." So yeah, no well, one should ever need it. He's sleeping on a bed of cash, <laughs> and some of that's camp con money. So yeah, "Run to You" gets played. I mean, "Run to You" is amazing. <laughs> it is a good song. That that song gets played every single day. Yeah, it's like summer of '69. Like, yeah, yeah. How many fucking times can you hear that song? Exactly. So it works. Yeah. I saw him at the Junos. He had like. Apparently, speaking of stickmen, apparently Brian Adams is like an infamous, infamous stickman. Really? Just, yeah. I always thought, I, I don't know. like I, Brian Wilt, who would have known? <laughs> like, he, he is, like, there's a model out there, you know, they've they spent a night with Brian. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Interesting, eh? Very I interesting. wouldn't have pegged him for that, but there's a lot of stories being told when I... Jeepers. Any more questions? Go for it. All right. So we have one question okay. that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Um, and I'm going to skip the preamble this time. Uh, suffice to say, it will prove if you're a real artist or not. Who has had more of an influence on you, in your career, your artistry? Uh, Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel? Peter Gabriel. Although I absolutely love Phil Collins as well. Speaking of Avalanche, we used a lot of those references and stuff, a lot of the drum sounds. Oh, yeah? Especially, like, the Roto-Tom stuff. Um, that's all in Lost Love. You can hear it mm. if you listen for it. Um, I mean, So is, like, a perfect record. Yeah. So is just fucking insane. Yeah, it's very good. It's 
nuts. Go back and like I, this. That's a record I've listened to and like been like again, you know, a few years later and being like, "Wow, my God, this is amazing." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Daniel Lanois is incredible. But Phil Collins gets such a bad rap. I don't get it. Phil Collins is like, if you take a Phil Collins greatest hits record like Across Genesis and stuff, it's mm. mind blowing how many good songs that guy's written. Yeah, he's an amazing voice, and all, like Phil, the first four Phil Collins records are all like super great, and they and they all have hits on them, but all the all the songs are great on them. He was definitely. It was weird how much both of them started embracing to a more fuller degree away from Genesis, like sort of studio technology and sort of studio. Yeah, like, I mean, those things. are the first guys to take full advantage of like digital everything. Mm-hmm. Synths and drum machines and, you know, reverbs and whatever. So those guys are pioneers in that. Was that the wrong answer to pick Peter Gabriel? Oh, no. I'm a huge no, Peter no, Gabriel fan. Uh, but the uh, okay. the <laughs> the reverb snare was on a, was invented through the talked back mic uh between it was peter gabriel's record but phil collins was playing the drums on it so it's oh like, cool it's like a yeah i mean that like gated like super gated yeah. drum sound is like you know you hear if you listen for it it's all over everything it's everywhere. since there since then he's he's he i i can't believe he's become a punchline and it's honestly uh, it music is very very cyclical and i haven't everyone used to say that to me and i didn't fully realize it yeah but like i know that like now my dad says like everything sounds like the 80s it's nuts mm. to me and like i think so we're seeing like phil collins being more respected now by like especially like someone like in my generation or whatever mm-hmm. whereas you know throughout the 90s and the early 2000s he was like a joke yeah absolutely you know and now he's super respected mm-hmm. I, or at least getting more i mean like i think that's another. That's just like we're talking. Like we're bringing it all full circle here. It's like <laughs> no one gives a f- shit. You know, Spotify. If it's good, it's good. Yeah. And and no one cares when it's from or where it's from, as long as it makes them feel something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of my recent discoveries, and it was only through Song Exploder, was uh, Carly Rae Jepsen's "Emotion." Oh sure. Which is like pristinely done. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite records from yeah. last year for sure. It's crazy. And then like I just Ariel like. like my favorite that's a dream producer he's yeah. amazing he's done like all the heim stuff and yeah um vampire the last vampire weekend record but he does like mm-hmm. his thing is like super pop stuff and it was crazy because i had sort of i i guess you know uh i'd heard call me maybe and then it died off but then emotion is like holy shit it's amazing yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so and i'm not sure if i would appreciate it as much if i didn't sort of have an ear for like just how much great production went into it but it's like it's sublime. Yeah, it's an amazing record. Um, it's it's she's she's the definition of like her team not understanding who she is. Yeah, because like I feel like it bubbled up and then it didn't go anywhere. I think it's got like the biggest cult following. Yeah, you know, like especially amongst like Canadian music writers who are like basically everyone on like my Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. It's like all my friends who like you know are on the Players Jury and all that stuff is like they. Uh, she's very respected yeah people understand what she's doing she's she you know what it like people come back to that record in 10 years and they're gonna be like yeah. oh it's that's it's the definition of one of those things but i it, the release of it got bungled a lot i think you know like they shouldn't have put that first song as the first single and there's a lot of, i think the, yeah she's a serious artist that happens to make pop music yeah and it's very it, you know that's it <laughs> 
But we're not. No, this is again the uh, Riley Byrne patented call to action. Please, if you can, uh, tweet about us. You know, write us a review. Share share the podcast with someone who needs a smile or a friend, or you need to shut up for a little bit. And our podcasts are like an hour long, so it'd give you an hour's worth of peace. 
do that this week. Do something. Do do something like that. That'll be uh, put a big old smile on my face. That's that's what it'll do.